0: Thank you. So we got to, real quick, find out. Anybody here for the first time tonight? Good luck. All right. So, first of all, welcome. Second, let us warn you in advance. You're liable to experience us, just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. And the primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a very different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years. We take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Because it works. Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. Yes? Yes. It's good if we have some point of agreement, <laughs> right? OK. Um, so what I do is I try and show you how I find my experience in the book and encourage you to have your experience with the book. And if we both do our job, we share a spiritual experience in this room every time. How many of you have been here before and can witness for these folks that happen? So those of you who joined us online, they're raising their hands. For those of you that are here for the first time, they're raising their hands. They're telling you that they have been here and they can witness to having shared a spiritual experience. In 12-step recovery, when we speak of a spiritual experience, we're talking about a sensory experience. You will feel it. And when you do, I'll know, and I'll call it to your attention, because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving. Well oh, that's another little thing we do. Anytime I say God, you say because to us they're interchangeable. Does it make sense? The other thing we got to tell you is that the people throughout Arizona Department of Corrections, all the yards, get to see and hear from you now because of the work of Brian and his team. So what we we always uh, what we would like for you to do is let the people know all around the state of Arizona that we got a place for them. Give them a shout, please. And they also reach all the people in Maricopa County jails. So, So for those of you who are hearing us out there, uh, we're, we're anxious to receive you. We're, we're praying safe passage till you get here and, and these guys are making a way, they're changing the community's mind about people with a past. Yes? Okay, so tonight we're gonna to take a dive into the first step in recovery as Chap said and I'll apologize in advance. When we do the first step in recovery, you'll experience some highs and some lows, and and if you don't experience some lows, then you've probably missed something, because the experience of powerlessness and unmanageability is tangible, right? Okay, so first thing we like to do is let people know what the book is, and a lot of times you see it, and you go, oh, that's the big book, and no one really thinks about anything except that's a big book, but the title of the book is actually Well, I was about to show you another page, but let me show you this page. Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And the reason that's important is because it's their story, not our story, which is why I'm trying to align my experience with theirs. If I don't have the experience they had, doesn't mean they're wrong, right? They told told me clearly, rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. They didn't say paths, even though it's a story of the first several thousand, they said path. Right? So, it's my job to try and get aligned with that, and now it's my job to try and help you get aligned with that. Yeah? Okay, so the other thing I like to show people is who the authors of the book are so we understand when we see literature from the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and things that are adapted from that we know what they're talking about when they say things like we admitted right so we're in the forward to the first edition and it says we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book So who is we? The first 100. It is no one we've met in the modern fellowships. Regardless of how learned they are, they are not this experience. Does that make sense? And then they told us what the purpose of the book was. What's the purpose of the book? To show others precisely how we recovered is the main purpose of the book. Notice how they didn't say to tell others. Someone had to sit down with me and show me how to align my experience with theirs. I had read this book a hundred times, still didn't know what it said until someone showed me how to read it. So I'm endeavoring to do for you what was done for me, to show you precisely how I've recovered. Does that make sense? All right, so then I'm going to jump from there to the second edition Page XVII, and I'm at the bottom of the page, and I just want to give you a little tidbit of information because I want for you, if you've had struggles in the fellowships of recovery, why I'm really insistent that you learn to read your own book because if you don't read your own book and you let someone else read your book for you, you've given them the power to think for you. Have you ever... Thought something was true because of something someone told you and you acted in that and ended up in a pickle? Did they stay in the pickle with you or did you? No, the consequences of letting other people think for you still land, land with you. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm at the bottom of that page. It says it was now time the struggling groups thought to place their message and unique experience before the world. So they had a unique experience. They were hopeless alcoholics, dying in addiction. The doctor said people like you never recover. And yet they were recovering in dozens, okay? This determination bore fruit in the spring of 1939 by the publication of this volume. The membership had then reached about 100 men and women. The fledgling society, which had been nameless, now began to be called Alcoholics Anonymous from the title of its own book. So the reason I call that to your attention is a lot of people get told, if you go to meetings, you're in the program. Have you ever heard that? If you go to meetings, you're in the fellowship. If you're in the book, you might be in the program. But if you're not in the book, you're definitely not in the program. So when anyone says to you, I'm in the program, Kindly ask them to tell you which page. (laughs) Why do we tell you that? Because there are serious consequences to people like me thinking I can sit in a chair comfortably abstinent. Because I cannot. And then I fail over and over again and I think I'm a failure. No, I just didn't meet the Redeemer and I didn't get the experience because it wasn't spoken to me clearly. So... Just wanted a little tidbit, in case you didn't know. I've had people argue with me. I said, well, they put it in a book for a reason. I used to have a sign at my office at the state. It said, never argue with an idiot. People watching can't tell the difference. (laughs) All right, so we're going to take a look at the doctor's opinion. The doctor is Dr. William Silkworth, and he treated people. For alcoholism, drug addiction, and so they wanted his opinion in this book because he had encountered Bill Wilson, who was the author of the majority of this book, with the first 100 who agreed with the wording. It says uh, doctor's opinion XXV: We of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the reader will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery described in this book, and most of us may not know why we would be interested in a medical. Estimate, but the reality was back then addiction was not in a diagnosis, and doctors just said people like us were hopeless. And this doctor had a countervening view. He he did not believe we were hopeless if we did the things based on this that these people learned they needed to do. Makes sense. And it, then it says says. Uh, Convincing testimony must surely come from medical men who have the experience with the sufferings of our members and have witnessed our return to health. So they were working with the worst of the worst, the cocaine addicts, the morphine addicts, the alcoholics that were the society had cast them out. That's who he was working with. A well-known doctor, chief physician at a nationally prominent hospital specializing in alcoholic and drug addiction gave Alcoholics Anonymous this letter. To whom it may concern... I have specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years. In late 1934, I attended a patient who, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. In the course of his third treatment, how many of you have had more than one go? So the author of the majority of this book that anchored this whole movement at that time, he struggled a little bit. In the course of his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. As part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. This has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their families. This man and over 100 others appear to have recovered. So the doctor's estimate is that these people once thought hopeless, once they were presented with these ideas from Bill, seem to have recovered. How many of you got into a detox or two on, here, on the way here? Did you ever ask him if you could go tell the other patients how to get well? <laughs> well, they let Bill. I'll tell you a little secret. How many of you are new Freedom members in here? Woo-hoo! How many of you are new Freedom staff or new Freedom graduates in here? Woo-hoo! This little secret we just read you is the entire model of what we do right here. We started telling you while you're on the inside, if you'll just think and lift up your brother, you're going to be fine. you get to us, we're going to teach you a little more about it. Did we not teach you that? You know what happened to you guys that are watching online, you guys that don't know, maybe your family come to support. For over 13 years, the state has kept stats, and they have never achieved over 51% success keeping people out of prison. We're coming up on three years. We've treated a little over four thousand people. If you graduate this program, you got a ninety-five percent chance you will never go back. Just want want you to relate to the text. All right. So after I'm not going to read any more of. What the doctor said then, I'm going to read to you a little bit about what the author said, because alcohol, any of you guys ever hear a medical opinion, then you had an opinion of what the medical opinion was? (laughs) So the alcoholics, obviously, that wrote this book, they were alcoholics, so they had an opinion of the opinion. So we want to see where we're at, right? Okay, so I'm on XXVI now says the physician who at our request gave us this letter has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe. The authors concluded there was a few musts, and that one is coming up really early. I must believe something about this doctor's opinion about my condition if I would like to get started on my journey, which means it's going to have to make sense to me in light of my experience, or I simply won't believe it. Does that make sense? Okay. That the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality or were outright mental defective. How many of you were not satisfied with that assessment? How many of you thought from time to time it may have been accurate, but situationally? So what they said is these things were true to some extent, in fact to a considerable extent with some of us, but we're sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. How many of you have been interested in the theory that alcoholics, addicts, have an allergic reaction? How many of you dismissed it because our idea of an allergic reaction is not... So if we just don't even think... But that's something I must believe. So someone's going to have to lay it out for me in light of my experience so they can... I can relate to the experience because this is something I must believe. Okay, it says, As laymen, our opinion as to its soundness may of course mean little, but as ex-problem drinkers, we can say this explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. Though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization For the alcoholic who's very jittery or befogged, any of you found yourself in a hospital setting because you were jittery or befogged or under arrest? (laughs) It's imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he's approached as he has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. So they always need me, if I'm going to move into a conscious relationship, I need to be able to move forward consciously. I can't be tricked, I can't be doped, I can't be missing. pat you know what I mean? Okay, so the question would be, what is it that I'm supposed to understand? So let me ask you, because I'm not going to read through the whole doctor's opinion today, simply because we've got some other things I want to do. But let's talk about, do I got any drinkers in the room? So you guys that are drinkers, when you drank, did you find that alcohol energized you? Yes! It's a sedative. That's not supposed to happen with a sedative. Where's my meth addicts? Ah, there's a tweaker crowd. (laughs) All right. Somebody check the chairs, make sure you're not tearing them apart. How many of you guys did that meth and found it calmed you down? Do I have to point out that's an abnormal reaction to methamphetamine? So a doctor looking at that strange reaction to chemicals said that may be a manifestation of an allergy. How many of you can relate to that now? The one symptom we have in common, if we are this guy, is that abnormal reaction. Does it make it easier for you to believe it now in light of your experience okay well then we've accomplished what we wanted to do there let's see what else we can do so let's let's get out of the doctor's opinion let's go to lived experience let's go to page five of our book and let's let bill tell you his story see if you relate because we we respond better to stories anyway don't we especially stories that seem to be informed yes all right so we're on the top of page five in bill's story and he says liquor ceased to be a luxury it became a necessity how many of you in your addiction to whatever it was can sort of consciously remember when you no longer was doing it because you wanted to, you were doing it because you had to? So that's what he's starting to describe. It, it, isn't, it isn't what everyone else sees, it's what I know, right? Okay. Then it says, bathtub gin, two bottles a day, often three got to be routine. So he's describing for him what it looked like. You'll have to fill in the blanks for you what it looked like. okay? Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars and I'd pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. Any of you guys have like a credit arrangement with enough people that you could stay on the hook a while even when you're out of bread? Did you have to go pay them all back every once in a while? So that's all he's talking about. I mean, I gotta have two or three trap houses to go to so I can stay and then I'll get enough energy from one of them to go hit a hustle so I can run back through the cycle and pay them sub-bitches back, right? Okay, all right. So this went on endlessly, and I began to awaken very early in the morning, shaking violently. Anybody relate? Went on endlessly. (laughs) Pay attention, Joel. Okay, a tumbler full of gin followed by a half dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Any of you? Where's my drinkers? You guys relate to having to put a little down just so you can get up? Nevertheless, now listen to this. He's describing the mental and emotional state. He's describing a completely unmanageable situation. Yes? Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. And there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. So I got a cheerleader (laughs) assuring me that I got this even though I'm doubting a bit. Any of you ever had that? I hope she's not easily disappointed. Any of you try that? Better living through chemistry? I had a little alcohol problem, but methamphetamines fixed that. Now I just need a little heroin to take the edge off. All right, so gradually things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Did you ever notice how life went on even though you checked out? That's what he's talking about. And it does feel like life's passing us by, doesn't it? He says, then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at a low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I got went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. any of you ever do that? Yeah, yeah. Wrestle up an opportunity, all set to really go kill it again, and then just go out to celebrate the newfound opportunity, and then miss the opportunity? Yeah. So I woke up, this had to be stopped. How many of you somewhere in your active addiction realized that it's not going well? How how many of you resolved that this has to be stopped? How many of you changed your mind somewhere in the... Perhaps you overreacted, right? He says, I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. How many of you really meant it? Like, really meant it? And you were convincing to the people who cared about you. How many of you were wrong? Didn't mean I didn't care about them. I just really meant it and I had no power. You understand? We're trying to get to the place where we recognize an experience of powerlessness. All right. So shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. How many of you can relate to that? I know that me picking up again is not a good idea. And yet, here I am, all lit up. No fight. Where had been my high resolve? So now he's asking questions. Everywhere in this book, they put a question mark that's for you to ask yourself the question. I'm showing you how to read the book, right? What's this sentence mean to me? How many of you, you may not have used those words, but what's wrong with me? Okay. I simply didn't know. How many of you concluded you don't know? That's really the baffling part because everyone assumes we should know, huh? You ever disappoint somebody, twist off? You're all lit up again. They know it's not a good idea. You know it's not a good idea. Why'd you do that? I don't know. Yes, you do. (laughs) So then I go right into my next phase, lying again because I got to calm them down somehow. Says someone had pushed a drink my way and I had taken it. Was I crazy? Again, question mark. How many of you got to think, man, am I nuts? He says, I began to wonder for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. So he's giving you a clue of what addictive insanity, alcoholic insanity is. It's an appalling lack of perspective. Okay? So renewing my resolve, I tried again. So how many of you had that experience? Picked yourself up and gave it another go. Okay? It says, some time passed and confidence began to be replaced by cocksureness. How many of you have had that experience? You started to get a little time under your belt? Maybe you started, things were going all right? So what happens when confidence, certainty, gets replaced by ego, cocksureness, what happens is I confuse the experience of grace with the illusion of control. Does that make sense? So he's doing it through me, but I don't know. I think I'm doing it. And then I get my chance to prove I'm doing it. And guess what happens every time? There ain't nothing to do to not do. It's got to be removed, guys. OK, so I could laugh at the Gen mills. Now I had what it takes. One day, I walked into the cafe to telephone. In no time, I was beating on the bar, asking myself how it happened. As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself, I'd manage better next time, but I might as well get good and drunk then, and I did. How many of you, after you were high, decided to get more high? And you then convinced yourself that was a choice? But the insanity of alcoholism is that drink knowing of my condition. It's the first drink, not what happens after it. What happens after the first drink for me is predetermined. You know what I'm saying? I, I was of unsound mind when I took the first drink and everything after that is this manifestation of an allergy, the inability to control once I start. Now, it doesn't mean I could always not control. They'll talk to you in Chapter 3 the idea that he can control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. How many of you have had that obsession? So they're not saying you can't control. They're just saying when you control, you can enjoy. Does that align with your experience? Okay. So then it goes on to tell you... The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. Do yourself a favor. Find yourself in his story. Have you had some clean time? Did you twist off and then wake up the next morning and just remorse, horror? Any of you? Relate to it? Go there with him because that's a powerless and unmanageability experience. He's describing a, a depth of spirit that is tangible. Hopelessness. If I don't try again, I can't fail again. Horror. What am I going to tell everybody? Right? It says the courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. Any of you ever get to the point where you're pretty sure you were down for the count? It wasn't going to get any better, so you're just wondering when it's going to end? And hoping it's going to end soon. Yeah, no kidding. That's real. said, I hardly dared cross the street lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. Any of you ever have enough going on in your life that when stuff started really falling apart, you're like, this will ebb and flow, but I can't do another ebb and flow? He's just talking to you about his experience. He worked with the markets. He knew they did these things. But he'd been on the train long enough. He knew he didn't want to, even if he could come up again, he didn't want to come up again because it inevitably means another downturn. So he says, the market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. So he's taking you inward and the way, way of the thinking process of somebody in an active addictive disorder. Should I kill myself? How many of you got there? Where's my opiate addicts? How many times did you load it up enough that you were hoping not to wake up? Tell the truth. A whole bunch of you. A whole bunch. Yeah. So, no, not now that a mental fog settled down gin would fix that, so two bottles in oblivion. you ever conclude that? I don't like the way I'm thinking, so I'm gonna to get to drinking. It just takes enough time and enough whiskey, I can get her done, right? Okay, so it says the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms for mine endured this agony two more years. Think about that now, he's talking about this onward progression, he's knowing better, He's had some times of sobriety any of you do that some time in sobriety and then get back on a sick one and it's like okay I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me any of you ever (laughs) did you you tell them what happened to it (laughs) like there's no earthly explanation for where that money went but I will help him look for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window in the medicine, or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for a weakling. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. And then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window sash and all. Any of you get... Drink to delirium tremens. Do I have any serious, seriously committed drinkers here? So what he's describing is, a, is a really a living hell. Those of us that have been there, you start seeing hallucinations, and you don't know they're hallucinations. They're very real, and I, I contend they probably weren't hallucinations. I had entered the world of the spirit. I was living a living death, and I was seeing spirits in the room that I wasn't able to see when I was alive. I'm, con- I'm convinced of it today. Um, somehow I managed to dry- drag my mattress to a lower floor lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Any of you ever uh, go to the hospital and get a little Advan therapy for your alcohol condition? Yeah, I found out that uh, alcoholism was nothing but more than an Advan deficiency. <laughs> Simple fix. So the combination soon landed me on the rocks. Any of you have that same discovery as Bill? (laughs) Go to the hospital, get a little benzodiazepine in some form, and pretty soon you're doing that and the drink. How many of you uh, got strung out on opiates, then couldn't get any more opiates? How many of you tried to drink yourself into unconsciousness because you were dope sick? Alcohol is a terrible substitute for opiates. In case any of you were thinking that path, that's a bad, bad path. Okay, so people feared for my sanity, so did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. Where's my Twakers? You guys relate to being 40 pounds underweight? Yeah. At least, huh? All right, so my brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that, though certainly selfish and foolish, I'd been seriously ill bodily and mentally. Guys, that's the other thing we want to tell you. If you've been running and gunning in an active addictive disorder, intrinsically there's really nothing wrong with you. We need you to get up, get active, and serve. Right? And that's all the doctor said. (laughs) So it relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor. So now he's talking about the mental effect, bodily and mentally. I had a high resolve. I absolutely meant I'm not going to do it again. I really do care about you. And then I'm gone again. Though it often remains strong in other respects. Were you able to still go to work and keep a job for some period of time, even though you couldn't, and then pretty soon the job got in the way of your drinking schedule? Yeah. My incredible behavior in the face of desperate desire to stop was explained. So again, it isn't a moral failing when you're in active disorder to continue doing what you have no power to not do. It's going to have to be interrupted by a power greater than that spirit pulling you out. Yes? For three or four months, the goose hung high. That's kind of weird terminology in our modern world, but what does he mean? by, How many of you have had 90 days? Feeling good, keeping commitments. How many of you had something go after that? Okay. So he said everything was good for three or four months, and then I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. Yeah. Any of you ever find out wasn't safe for you to drink? Boy, yeah. so armed with that fact, I just don't pick up no matter what. Anyone ever heard that? Yeah. <laughs> How many of you heard people say that? How many of you found that was a little more complex than you had originally imagined? So he said, but it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. Guys, he's painting a picture for you. How many of you had some clean time and then used again, and things didn't just get bad. They got bad quick, like a ski jump. Like I was on the ground, and now it's 40 feet below me. After a time, I returned to the hospital. So he's taking you through his hospitalizations. This was the finish, the curtain it seemed to me. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremens or I would develop a wet brain perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. They did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. You relate to him? Watching the family be told, this condition is so serious, you're soon going to have to have them committed, or you're going to bury them. My family was told that. And I was unimpressed with that opinion, because it was incomplete information. I don't need to know what, I need to know when. How much longer I got to hang on? Anyone relate to me? So he said, it was a devastating blow to my pride. I, who had thought so well of myself, my abilities, and my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. How many of you had relative success in life and did things and picked yourself up after adversity? And that's all he's talking about. He had been a war hero, he'd made a whole bunch of money, he had 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 his advice. People were, you know, millionaires were taking his advice and becoming more millionaires right So now it says now i was to plunge into the dark joining that endless procession of sots who had gone on before how many of you watch those old addicts go out and die and you remember kind of making fun of them am i the only one that did that yeah that old crackhead and now all of a sudden it becomes fairly evident that i are that old crackhead okay all right so So it says, I thought of my poor wife. There had been much happiness after all. What would I not give to make amends? But that was over now. So it's too late for me to start over. Can any of you relate to that? No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. So he's trying to get you to say, bring to consciousness if you dare. When you just knew that you knew that you knew that it was never going to get any better, and there really is no words to describe that. Yeah. Yes? yes? Are you with me? Okay. So he says, quicksand stretched around me in all directions. No matter how much we struggle, the deeper we go in. Anyone know? I hear that in modern recovery. People say, just keep fighting, my friend. Tyler points out, if you're struggling, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Quicksand stretches in every direction. Quit struggling. You're going to need a lift. Yep. I, had, I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Trembling, I stepped from the hospital a broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. How many of you have sobered up based on fear alone? Yeah. How'd that work out for you? Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink. Bill's very clear. Then came the insidious insanity of the first drink. And on Armistice Day 1934 I was off again. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. So now everyone's given up on me. Have you had that experience? They quit talking about our potential at some point, don't they? (laughs) It's like, it's going to be easier not to watch. Yes? How dark it is before the dawn. So he's talking about the darkness that we feel emotionally and mentally when we realize we have finally severed all the bonds with anyone who ever cared about us because we are such a certifiable mess. Anyone with me? Some of you are feeling that. Who's feeling that? Yeah, that is also the power we call God around here. Because I know, you know. Does that make sense? That's the whole point of this step is to get into that experience of powerlessness and then recognize the difference when power comes on. Because it is the power we ch- chase and it's within us. It's not out there. Does it make sense? Okay. So in reality, that was the beginning of my last about I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. So, he's promising you, based on his experience, that although he experienced that darkness, he was then catapulted into a fourth dimension of existence, beyond time and space. And the experience of it was to know, not know, know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is progressive. That's why we suggest a manner of living, because when you serve, you'll ultimately lead. It's inevitable. Does it make sense? Okay. So near the end of that bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen. With a certain satisfaction, I reflected that there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through that night and the next day. Any of you ever... Get a free night, still have enough whatever. Okay, that's kind of a holiday, isn't it? I'll myself. My wife was at work. I wondered whether I dared hide a full bottle of gin near the head of the bed. I would need it before daylight. Any of you drinkers that knew you needed to hide a bottle so you could get a nip? Yeah. Those of you that didn't ever do that kind of drinking, just trust us. you got to have it around because you wake up and you're in full-blown delirium and if I don't get something down, ain't nothing else happening I'm going to be really sick. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. He was sober. They put it in italics if you're not following it in the book. you got to picture who Ebby is to Bill. He's an old school friend and How many of you, when you're in your active addiction, no matter how bad you got, you always maintain someone you knew who is worse than you? I'm not that bad yet. So that's who Abby is for Bill. I'm not that bad yet. But now Bill's in it full all the way in the well, and Abby's calling him, and he's in New York, and he's sober. So this is impossible, and now Bill's processing, telling you the impossibility of it so you understand the the magnet. Whatever, the magnitude of the miracle he's about to witness, okay? So it says, it, says I, it was years since I could remember his coming to New York in that condition. What condition? Sober. He don't go nowhere sober. How many of you have had that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't go nowhere sober. Were you nuts? Yeah. Okay. All right, so I was amazed. You've got to get the, what he's trying to tell you about. Rumor had it that he'd been committed for alcoholic insanity. I wondered how he had escaped. Dude must have blown out of court. Of course he would have dinner and then I could drink openly with him, unmindful of his welfare. I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. There was that time we had chartered an airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility, the very thing, an oasis. Drinkers are like that. So contemplate what he's painting the picture of. He can't drink with anybody the way he drinks. Any of you get to the point that the way you used, not only wasn't it safe for anyone to use with you, you really didn't want to share. So that's where he's at, but now he's got this guy, and his coming is an oasis. What is an oasis? It's, It's water in an arid place, or it's a complete mirage or both drinkers are like that it's interesting you guys could bring it right to consciousness okay so then it says the door opened and he stood there fresh skinned and glowing now he's talking about his drinking buddy how many of your drinking buddies would you describe as fresh skinned and glowing That is a weird description, yes? So there's something very different about this person, yes? Yes. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? He instantly got to, what, this is not the guy I knew. And then it says, I pushed a drink across the table. He refused it. Disappointed, but curious, I wondered what had got into the fellow. He wasn't himself. How many of you have offered somebody a little bump of something that you'd, and they didn't take it? Would you describe that as being disappointed, but curious? Oh, no, dude, we were going to have a party, and, okay, okay. We'll we'll move on. You'll wear down, right? Okay. Okay. So he says, come, what's all this about? I queried. I need to have an explanation here, Abby. He looked straight at me, simply but smilingly, he said, I've got religion. Yeah. Okay, so regardless of whether you're religious or whatever, or you're just running and gunning, be honest. You're sitting there drunk and drinking. You've got a plan to drink all through the night, and you've got a stash for the next day. And someone's sitting at the table sober with you who used to be a drinking buddy. And he won't take a drink from you. And now when I ask him, he said, I've got religion. The, yeah, the fun meter goes right through the floor, right? <laughs> like, this is going to suck. <laughs> I'm going to get a lecture, right? Yeah. Okay. So he says, I was a gas." So that was it. Last summer, an alcoholic crackpot... Now, I suspected a little cracked about religion. Anybody? He had that starry-eyed look. Yes, the old boy was on fire, all right. But bless his heart, let him rant. Besides, my gin would last longer in his preaching. But he did no ranting. Now he's talking to you about being really disturbed. First he wouldn't take a drink. Then he told me he's got religion. Now he's not acting like a religious guy. Like, none of my expectations are met here. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. Bill didn't need proof that the process worked. He saw proof in front of him. We carry this message. And Abby didn't tell him some nonsense about groups of drunks or light bulbs or doorknobs. He said, they gave me a religious idea. God dwells in you, Bill. Power dwells in you. And a practical program of action that will prove that fact to you through you. Why do we tell anyone in modern day anything less? What do we tell you when you get here other than welcome home? Help your brother. Help your sister. Right? All right. So it says, he had come to pass his experience along to me if I cared to have it. You notice how we pass our experience along to them? We show up and declare what's been done for us. Plain and simple. And they can examine for themselves. I'm not behaving as you think I will behave because I'm not as you think. I'm not even that guy you know. He died. I've been made new. I'm a new creation. The old has gone. Okay, so it says, I was shocked but interested. Certainly I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. Then he said, I talked for hours. Childhood memories rose before me. I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays way over there on the hillside. There was that proffered temperance pledge I never signed my grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folk and their doings, his insistence that the fears really had their music, but his denial the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen, his fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. Yeah. These recollections welled up from the past. They made me swallow hard. Now he's describing a visitation of the Spirit as he's going through this experience. He's thinking about his grandfather, who, although he had a belief in God, he had a relationship with God, he was unwilling to let the church tell him how he must believe. Right up to the point of death, he says, You don't tell me how to worship my God. My life is my worship. That's what he said. You got it? Who felt that? That came straight to you from the Spirit. Okay. He said these things welled up in him and made him swallow hard. Have you ever had something come on you so powerfully that an emotion was forced out of you and you didn't know where it came from, but you were out of control of it? Would you call that swallowing hard? That's what Bill is trying to tell you happened to him. The famous atheist opened his mind just a little bit as that spirit of revelation moved within him. Does that make sense? So it says... That wartime day in the old Winchester Cathedral came back again. So if you read the early part of the story, he was getting ready to go to war. He was scared. He went into the churchyard. He saw the, the gravestone of the old soldier who had survived war and came back and drank himself to death. And now he's an old soldier, soldier who survived war, and he's back and fixing to drink himself to death if something doesn't change. Right? He said, I'd always believed in a power greater than myself. I'd often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. Few people really are, for that means the blind faith and strange proposition that this universe originated in a cipher and aim, aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes, the chemists, the, astronomies, even the astronomers, even the evolutionists, suggested vast laws and forces in, at work. Despite contrary indications, I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all. How could there be so much of precise and immutable law and no intelligence? So he's asking himself this question. And then he said, I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe who knew neither time nor limitation, but that was as far as I had gone. I'm going to jump from there to his, back to his meeting with Ebby, because that's what he does, I, rather than reading a bunch of that stuff, um, I'm on the middle of page 11, he said, but my friend sat before me and he made the point-blank direction that God, you went to sleep, he made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. He was emphatic. He knew how Bill thought he'd been running and gunning with Bill. He said, dude, I thought the same thing you did until he snatched me up. His w- human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like myself, he had admitted complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead, suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he'd ever known. So that was Ebby's testimony to Bill. I was as bad as you were worse, Bill. I was on my way to alcoholic prison these guys came and gave me this religious idea and a practical program of action and now I've come to share this experience with you and Bill's like his eyes are right? remember he's drunk and drinking okay he's, Bill's contemplating had this power originated in him no he had evidence he knew who this cat was that power didn't originate in him it was in him but it didn't start there Right? Okay? Obviously it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute, and this was none at all. That floored me. It began to look as though religious people were right after all. Here was something at work in the human heart which had done the impossible. My ideas about miracles were drastically revised right then. Never mind the musty past. Here sat a miracle directly across the kitchen table. He shouted great tidings. So that's what we're trying to get you to see. Whatever your ideas about miracles, think of that person you know, that hopeless person. Maybe it's you. And think about the possibility that you could be sitting here getting ready for the rest of your life and serving with such purpose were it not for an intervention. Because that's what he's recognizing. Okay, so he said, I saw that my friend was much more than inwardly reorganized. He was on a different footing. His roots grasp a new soil. Despite the living example of my friend, there remained in me vestiges of my old prejudice. So you're going to have to walk out your old prejudice, which is why you're going to help lifting people up, right? I'm going to jump again over to 13, and I'm going to... He had his encounter with God, and he tells it it, at night... He talks about how a clean wind of a mountaintop blew through and through and how scales of prejudice fell from his eyes. Any of you relate to that? You once thought one way and then they had this profound experience and now you think a little different way and now you're walking it out. That's all he's talking about, but it's tangible, isn't it? And when you share it with somebody, they feel it too, and that's how we know. We know each other by the spirit we share. That is our signet ring. Yes? Okay. So he said, my schoolmate visited me, and I fully acquainted him with my problems and deficiencies. What's it sound like he did with Evie? Sound like he did his fourth step, fifth step, right? He said, we made a list of people I'd hurt or to- toward whom I felt resentment. I expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals admitting my wrong. So you're starting to see some seven step stuff, some six step prep, yeah. Never was I to be critical of them. I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability. So now we're talking nine-step stuff. Notice this is all happening in one day in this detox. I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within. When they talk God consciousness, they're talking about the awareness of being aware. I'm power conscious. There's power flowing in me that's not of me. Does that make sense? Any of you ever had that happen? Okay. Common sense would thus become uncommon sense. I was to sit quietly when in doubt, asking only for direction and strength to meet my problems as he would have me, which you'll find in the 10th step direction and the 11th step direction. Yes? Pause when agitated or doubtful. Okay. Never was I to pray for myself accept as such as my request bore on my usefulness to others. So you can ask for anything you want if it's going to benefit somebody else. Does that make sense? Don't ask for your problems to go away. Ask for power to get through your problems, because that will take your real problem away. Once you find out that you can get through what you perceive to be the obstacle and find out it was the path to prepare you for the next level, right? Okay, Then, then only might I expect to receive, but that would be in great measure. My friend promised when these things were done, I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator a new relationship with Creator. If I'm having a difficult time in creation, check in with Creator. And if you check in with Creator, get that straightened out, creation magically straightens out. That I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. How many? Belief in the power of God. Belief in the power of God. Why do we say power here when I say God? Because I had to come to believe in the power of God. Power. Belief in the power of God, plus power. enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things, were the essential requirements. For years, I heard people talking about the how. That's above our pay grade. They're talking about the process and the how. What I need to know is the who. Quit asking how, start asking who. All right. so then it says, simple but not easy, a price had to be paid, it meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of light who presides over us all. These were revolutionary and drastic proposals, but the moment I fully accepted them, the effect was electric. There was a sense of victory followed by such a peace and serenity as I had never known. There was utter confidence. I felt lifted up as though the great clean wind of a mountaintop blew through and through. God comes to to most men gradually, but his impact on me was sudden and profound. For a moment, I was alarmed and called my friend the doctor, so he called to get the doctor's opinion about the experience he'd just had because it was freaking him out. To ask if I were still sane, he listened in wonder as I talked. And finally, he shook his head saying, something has happened to you I don't understand. But you'd better hang on to it. Anything is better than the way you were. Guys, if you will embrace this process wherever you have been, you will not be that again. And even if you go through the same things, you won't be the same man or woman again. And I'll guarantee you it won't have the same effect on you again. Yes? Yes. Thank you very much. (laughs)